Hello, welcome to the Almost LA podcast. My name is Aiden. Hello, my name is Audra. We have a correction from last week's podcast, the Zoot yep. Suit podcast. The Zoot Suit podcast. I was mispronouncing Hank Lavos's name is Lavos. Right. And it's actually Lavos. A little tiny, tiny mispronunciation, but there you go. A little tiny so, error. Not a big Tiny deal. error. Okay, so this week we are going to talk about, well, the Grammys. Well, first of all, yes, tonight. it's the Grammys tonight, Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And I'm going to be talking about a Grammy winner and murderer. Yay. His name is Phil Spector. <laughs> Yay. Um, and most of this is from the Dominic Dunn show, Power, Privilege, and Justice, which is very dramatic. Very dramatic. Um, and also some LA Times um, articles. So Phil Spector was born in 1939 in Bronx, New York. His parents were Jewish immigrants. There was some speculation, some of the articles I read, that his parents were actually first cousins. Um, oh. But that is not substantiated, so but I'm just throwing it out there because I read it a couple times. Okay. His father committed suicide when he was around nine. Um, and by the age of 12, him, him and his mom and his older sister moved to Los Angeles. By his own account, he was always kind of very different. Apparently, he was bullied a lot in school. He was small. He's a small guy. I think he was only 5'4 as an adult, um, which is shorter than me. Uh, and, you know, kind of thin and, and um, just different. He yeah. knew he was different. Yeah. Um, he, had found a, he found escape in music and learned to play the guitar. He attended Fairfax High School in L.A. Do you know where Fairfax High is? I think so. Isn't that the Down school? Down Fairfax. Yeah. Yeah. You'd know it if you drove by. Yeah, we drove by it a gazillion times. Does it have the mural? That's a Hollywood High School, actually, right? The what? The one with the big mural. That's Hollywood High School, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, at 17, he formed a band with two of his classmates and called themselves the Teddy Boys. Okay. <laughs> I love all the names back then. Teddy Boys. <laughs> the Teddy Boys. They went on to have a number one hit that Spectre actually wrote, and the title of it was called To Know Him Is To Love Him which was the epitaph on his father's gravestone, which is kind of hmm. creepy. So they had a number one hit? As a that... number one hit, yeah. Oh, wow, okay, cool. And Amy Winehouse actually covered it, and I'm going to play it for you right now when I find it on my phone. Here we go. To know him is to love him. So I don't know if you can see this little picture of his little group. Those are his two friends from high school, the guys. And then the girl was a, another a friend of his. I think she kind of came into the band later yeah. on to kind of sing. Okay. Um, actually, I think that's him on the... I'm wrong. The, he's one of the guys right there. So it's well, I can't, a guy I can't, and a girlfriend. I can't, I can't even see him. Oh, you can't? Okay. No. Well, neither can um, anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Nobody, well, I was going to post it right, on okay, Instagram. On, on our, on at Almost LA Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and whatever <laughs> Twitter else, email. Twitter and Instagram. There you go. There you go. Plug, plug, plug. Uh, so during this time in high school, he 
met recorder, uh, record producer Stan Ross, who was an owner of, a co-owner of the Gold Star Studios in Hollywood. Okay. At the time, it was one of the most popular recording studios in the area. And he tutored, tutored him on production. Uh, and then in 1960, after the band broke up, Spectre moved back to New York and opened the very successful Phil's Records at the age of 21. And he became the record, uh, the youngest record label owner in the U.S. 21? That's pretty 21. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, he created the fabled Wall of Sound. So the Wall of Sound, which I think most people have heard of that are, have any kind of music knowledge, because you've had heard of it. Um, if I'm understanding it correctly, because some things I was reading were so jumbled, I was like, well, what are they talking about? If I understand it correctly, it's a method of layering instrumental tracks like one over the other to give the music a, a really full instrumental sound. Yeah. And he said it was a way to make an okay song into a great song. So as before in music where you could kind of distinguish each instrument in a song, you'd be like, oh, that's a trumpet, that's a trombone or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of layered them all together <clears throat> so you couldn't really pick out a specific instrument in the song. It just sounded like a full sound. And he called it Little Symphonies for Kids. Yeah. Um, have you heard of that before? The Little Symphony for Kids? Well, I just, I just, um, I just, uh, just am familiar with because of like the liking the Beach Boys, uh, right? The Wall of Sound and how every you know, especially on an album like Pet Sounds, yeah, they are really little mini orchestras right. or almost yeah, like because classical he, music pieces. Because he also used the Wall of Sound, or in the Wall of Sound, he used like a lot of reverb in the echo chamber. So mm-hmm. we had talked about the echo chamber in the Nat King Cole episode, you know, at Capitol Records having that underground echo chamber. Right. So he was using that kind of technique as well. Yeah. So he had a string of hits that he produced um, a lot for the Righteous Brothers. You've Lost That Loving Feeling, Unchained Melody, a lot of the Beatles stuff, Imagine, Stand By Me, um, and numerous others. You can check it out and I mean, the list goes on and on. He actually took the recordings from the Beatles' final recording session and remastered them into Let It Be, the Let It Be album. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney, who I wasn't really consulted about that decision, it sounds like it was mostly Lennon and, and Harrison that were all for that. He was absolutely furious. Um, but then Spectre, uh, Lennon and, and Harrison loved it so much that, that they let, actually let Spectre go on to produce their solo albums. So Paul, Paul McCartney was mad that, that he took, that Phil Spector took uh Beatles songs and remastered them into a Yeah, he took their whole all their final recordings and remastered them and he wasn't really it didn't sound like everyone in the band was in on who was going to be doing that and Paul McCartney clearly wasn't cuz he was mad cuz you know cuz as I'm about to tell you Phil Spector had a was a genius in that sense of producing but he was also absolutely crazy so a lot of people didn't want to work with him. Oh, okay. Cuz he was kind of off his rocker. Right. Um, that's my professional term. He was a millionaire by the age of 21, um, and by the 70s, he had produced 18 of the of the U.S.'s top 10 singles for various artists. He won Grammy Album of the Year in 1973, which was for George Harrison's concert for Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. He was inducted to the Hall of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame into 1997. Um, in 1974, you know, he was kind of, you know, not right in the head you know, kind of unstable, according to people, before. Um, but he had a fatal car crash, a near fatal car crash in, in Hollywood in 1974, where he actually went through the windshield of the car 
Ooh. and was almost pronounced dead. The police, everybody that came on the scene thought he was dead. Um, and they were, and then somebody happened to lean over, a police officer happened to lean over and hear, feel like a really faint pulse. And they immediately zipped him over to the hospital and he was in numerous hours of surgery. He had over 700 stitches around his oh. face and the back of his head. Oh. Um, so he was known for his wigs and people speculate that the reason for the wigs was probably the car accident and all these like scars and probably hair not growing back in those scarred areas. Yeah. Um, I actually have that scar. I had gotten a car accident in high school and have a very lovely scar down the middle of my forehead, which mm-hmm. doesn't grow hair and it looks like a sweet big part. Awesome. <laughs> so I get it. Not on that extent, but I can see it. So he wore crazy wigs all the time. Um, after the accident, he became more really a recluse and even more bizarre. He years of alcoholism, and he had report reportedly had a mental illness, um, which was specifically probably bipolarism. But I don't know if that's was medically diagnosed for a fact or people just speculating that. But I'll throw it out there because he was obviously irrational. His second wife, uh, Ronnie who was the lead singer of the Ronettes, um, which was the first song I played. Uh, did I play two songs yet? Mm-mm. Or am I? You played the you played their track? first their first hit, Phil Spector's okay. band. So this is the Ron, one of the most famous Ronettes songs. And they had a ton of hits. He did all their albums. And this is his this wife is singing? Be My Baby. His second wife singing? Yep. Do you know this song? Mm-mm. Hold on. We're probably gonna have to pay royalties to Phil Spector in jail for this song, but <laughs> hold on. <laughs> then you might know it. No, no, no recollection. Mm-mm. Everything in in there is ridiculously Beach Boysy, though. That drum, oh, be- that sure. drum beat in the in the instruments they're using in the background and the, yeah. the horns coming in. Yeah, if you didn't hear in. Ronnie's voice, yeah, you I would have thought that would have been the song. Yeah. yeah, so it's definitely got his, you know, it, his it hand on like, that. Don't worry, baby, everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Look at you when you're musical talent. Um, <laughs> so unfortunately, uh, Ronnie, his second wife, and her children said they were abused all the time, and she was isolated throughout the marriage and not allowed to leave home at times. She called him a, quote, psychopathic monster. Okay. Unquote. He, there was a story that he, I think she confirmed this story, that he actually bought a gold coffin, which he kept in their house, and he'd take her over to it and, like, lay her on top of it and point a gun at her and tell her that that's where she'd end up. Oh, my God. So that's the type of, like, psychological abuse that he was throwing around, um... So, uh, clearly he was known for his erratic behavior. He had an extensive gun collection um, and an extensive wig collection. So, he had a a wig per gun. There you go. He's very <laughs> protective. Let me show you. I have a picture uh, I will post on Instagram of all his wigs, different styles. Can you see that? We're Skyping, so I'm trying to show you. No, I can't see that. But You can't see it? Just describe some of the different styles to me. Okay, 
So the first one in here is his mugshot where he has no hair except on the, around the sides. Can you see any and of his then, scars? Yeah. And then another one, it's, uh, he looks so kooky in these pictures. It's, it's scary. He um, has really dark brown hair, bangs, and kind of like a mullet. And then another one, it's a very kind of like light blonde, just, it looks like, like an Albert Einstein hairdo. It's kind of like crazy, wiry, puffy hair everywhere. And then he's got this flat, blonde, very straight, kind of Beatles, rocking like 60s Beatle hairdo, you know, when they, before they got edgy. Right. And then various short, different lengths, blonde, curly, or jet black kind of curly, almost like 80s rock hair. Um, so he's kind of all over the place. So he wasn't really trying to pretend like he had hair. He just was well, exactly. wearing different wigs. So um, that would bring me down to an interesting interview that he he had at one point where he was, I'll, I'll talk about later, where he denied wearing wigs, which is hilarious. Oh, bro. Anyway, he is famously known um, for holding a gun to Leonard Cohen's neck during a recording session. He shot off a gun during a John Lennon recording session that actually made Lennon's ears ring. Oh my God. Why did he have so many guns in these recording sessions? He always had a gun on him. Okay. Uh, I also have on good authority uh, from Sean Cassidy that he also was held, I think at a studio. I'm trying to, I was trying to get confirmation from that because I have somebody who knows him pretty well that he was also had a gun in his presence kind of and felt very uncomfortable and wouldn't let him leave somewhere. And there was many women who came forward at the end during his murder trial, which we're about to get to the murder that took place um, of, you know, guns in the face and not being allowed to leave. Sometimes they'd like, he wouldn't let them leave his house for days. So there's this weird pattern of this. I don't know if it's just like a, not feeling abandoned kind of thing. So he's like holding you there with a gun or, you know, there's always this feeling of you're not allowed to leave. I have a gun on you kind of thing where half the people are like, we were working. I don't know what's going on. So he was very well known for that. Nobody did anything about it. He was such a genius that people, one of those things, very LA Hollywood thing, just ignore the bad behavior because he's a genius. Um, so in an interview with Telegraph magazine in December of 2002, he was quoted as saying, Quote, people tell me they idolize me, want to be like me, trust me, you don't want my life, because it hasn't been very pleasant. I've been very tortured soul, I've not been at peace with myself, I have not been happy. So five weeks later from this interview, um, on the early morning of February 3rd, at 1.30 in the morning, after drinking at two other clubs, Phil and a girl that he was, this is the second girl he was with, at the night so at the first bar he was at he was one with one girl she went home and then at a second place he's with this woman kathy who he was drinking with they ended up going to a third place the house of blues and showed up at the foundation room which is the exclusive private area for like celebs and wealthy people mm-hmm. and running the vip door that night was 40 year old actress lana clarkson she initially didn't let specter and kathy in as she didn't know who he was and he was in his I want to say he was in his 60s at that point. Um, That totally pissed him off. And on top of that, Lana had referred to him as Miss because she mistook him for a woman because of his tiny frame and his big, long, curly wig he was wearing that night. Oh, no. So he was already kind of, like, offended royally at her. 
one of her coworkers kind of stepped in and was like, pulled her aside and was like, hey, this dude is Phil Spector. He is a world famous like recording producer. He's loaded. He's very wealthy. You know, let them in immediately. And so they were let in and Phil sat down and started drinking again heavily. And Kathy was kind of done drinking at that point. I think she was might might be over everything. That's so she ordered a water. That's the lady that was with him. That's the lady that was with him. She ordered a water, and Phil kind of went off on her and was like, "Order a goddamn real drink," you know, one of those things. Mm. And she said no, and so he told his limo driver, he's like, "Take her home." So Kathy disappears and goes home, and Phil's sitting there by himself, and waiting for the limo driver to come back. And he'd asked Lana to have a drink with him and she's like I can't I'm on I'm working but I'm about to get off but you know I'm fine thank you and she kind of de- declined him the limo driver comes back and at that point the place is closing Lana had clocked out and Phil and you know everybody's leaving so Phil's leaving at the same time as her and he keeps repeatedly asking her for a drink and she's like no 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 and the limo driver's confirming this you know later on he confirmed that she was declining drinks from him and she was just going to go home and eventually he kind of was so pressuring her that she was like fine I'll come for one drink, but then I have to go home. And so uh, around 3 a.m., they get back to Spectre's house, which was in La Hombra, which is pretty far away from, you know, being down in mm-hmm. Hollywood. And the limo driver, his name is Adriano D'Souza. He was just going to hang out by the car because he's like, okay, this is going to be quick. and I'm going to have to drive her home because that was kind of his M.O. He would like drop off Phil and then take girls home left and right whenever they needed to go home, and then he would go back and get Phil. And so he was kind of waiting outside when about an hour later he heard a gun go off, and then Phil comes running out of the house with a gun in his hand, and he said, quote, I think I killed someone. So police arrive. Actually, um, Adriano D'Souza called the cops, and I listened to the 911 tape, and he says, my boss just killed somebody on the 911 tape. And they're asking him who he was and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So clearly from the tape, he, and he said, you know, he admitted to killing somebody. Wow. Um, so when police show up, Phil now was back in the house, kind of standing in the doorway of his foyer. And he didn't have a gun on him. He had his hands in his pockets. And he kept taking his hands, like, in and out of his pockets. And they were like, dude, take your hands out of your pockets come over here and he just wasn't listening and he was kind of rambling. He was like, she killed herself. She killed herself. He was rambling all the stuff that she committed suicide in his house and they hadn't even entered the house yet. So they ended up having to tase him. They did it twice because the taser kept not working. So then they kind of had to rough him up, I think, to kind of get him subdued. They got into the house um, and they found her literally right inside the front door, slumped down in a chair, blood coming out of her mouth onto her dress and her teeth were scattered all over the floor. So, Lana Clarkson was born in Long Beach in on April 5th, 1962. She had small parts in Scarface and Fast Times at Richmond High, and appeared in, appeared in bit parts in about 20 TV shows. She came best known for her five feature films for uh, film producer Roger Corman, which were kind of like sci-fi fantasy movies or B-movies. She was six feet tall and very long blonde hair. So she was always cast as kind of like the Xeno warrior type roles, you know, um, his, the Corman's movies were kind of like women, barbarian, Amazon type B kind of sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. And she actually had kind of a cult following with those. And she, um, was a really big fan at the, uh, 
of people at the comic book conventions at the time. I don't think they were called Comic-Cons then. They were just kind of comic book conventions. So by her 30s, she was having a hard time getting roles, but she was doing those promotional appearances and kind of signing autographs and making money that way. Right. And then she'd also kind of started a website, you know, when the internet became, came, you know, more popular and she, people, fans would email her, you know, and she would uh, mail out DVDs of her movies with like signatures on them. So that's how, how she was kind of making money in her 30s. And then around 2001, she began really wanting to get into comedy. Um, and she wanted to be more of a comedic actress. So she was writing a one-act show called Lana Unleashed, or Lana Unleashed. I'm not really sure how to pronounce her name. Lana or Lana? I'm going to say Lana. Um, and in, early, in January, early January of 2003, she was having a hard time kind of paying her bills. So about three weeks before her death, she decided to take this job at the House of Blues just to make some extra money um, to kind of tide her over until this this one woman show um did i say one man show that was weird no i think you said one one woman show okay one yeah. woman show took off which is very sad to me she was trying to get something going she'd only been there three weeks and she didn't know who this guy was yeah. so suspector so was eventually charged with second degree murder and he was let out on one million dollars bail so he was out free until his trial started in 2007 so wait so when, when, was the, 40, when was the murder the 2003 2003 Right in January, like February 2003. Mm. Um, so he was out for almost four years free, roaming around. Wow. He had hired Robert Shapiro from the OJ trial. Have you heard of Robert Shapiro? Yeah. From the OJ Simpson trial. He's a very famous lawyer. And Robert was his lawyer during kind of like the phase of getting him out on bail, the preliminary stuff. And then he fired Robert. Then he hired Leslie Abramson, who was a famous lawyer from the Menendez brothers trial. These are all like very famous LA cases. Um, I probably know about, you don't know about. He and she ended up leaving because and quitting because his obnoxious behavior during press conferences, like they hold this press conference and he's standing behind his lawyers with these crazy wigs on. And his lawyer would start talking and trying to, you know, present this case that He's innocent. This poor woman, you know, was depressed and she committed suicide in his house. And he'd start piping in behind them, like ranting and raving about stuff. And he just looked crazy. So he wasn't helping himself at all. Right. So Leslie Abramson, who was a complete badass lawyer, she, I think she just left. And then he finally hired this New York City lawyer named Bruce Cutler, who defended John, who defended John Gotti three times. And he was very New York and did not really fit into this LA courtroom and was getting yelled at a lot. And he, and, and he ended up taking a back seat as well. So when the trial started, on the first day of the trial, he shows up with a new wife who's tw- like in her 20s, early 20s. She was a Playboy bunny. They actually met one month after Lana's shooting, and they were married right in the same foyer that Lana was murdered in. Mm-hmm. I'm calling it the murder foyer, okay. which is creepy. So the defense claimed that D'Souza, the limo driver's statements, you know, were correct, or I'm sorry, were not correct because he was from Brazil and they were claiming he didn't speak English that well. So when he was said, I think, you know, when he was saying that Phil said he thought he killed somebody, they were saying, oh, that's not what, what he really said. But, you know, you hear this guy on the stand, you can hear his testimony. He speaks perfect English. Yeah. So it was just that's a bad excuse. ridiculous. And then the defense was also kind of drag, trying to drag her through the mud, saying she had no money, she had no husband, no kids, so she was, like, depressed and, and just randomly met some guy that night and decided to kill herself 
on a quote unquote stupid impulse in his house. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons they were kind of saying this to help their defense was that she had a ton of gun residue on her hands and Phil Spector only had like minor gun residue. And the blood splatter was kind of all over the place, but he did have blood splatter on his jacket. So he was obviously close to her, you know, but the prosecution was like, she clearly was trying to get this gun out of her mouth. So when the gun went off, she was holding the barrel of the gun. So that's why most of the gun residue was on her hands. Right. So it all makes sense to me. So anyway, you know, they kind of did did a, a good job at the beginning to, to confuse the, you know, show cast of doubt to the juror because the first trial ended in a mistrial and that's when his new york lawyer quit stating differences in opinion on strategy you got another lawyer and the second trial ended with a guilty verdict and he was sentenced to 19 years to life so he's still in prison to this day at the prison they grabbed his wigs and said he couldn't wear wigs which pissed him off and then he wanted hats and they prohibited him from wearing hats so because he's jewish he asked for a yarmulke which was granted. So mm-hmm. he gets to wear a yarmulke to cover up his, his bald spot. Um, in between the murder conviction and, uh, and the murder, he did an interview for a documentary that came out, and the, the documentary is called The Agony and the Ecstasy of Phil Spector, directed by, I think his name is pronounced Verkram Jayanti. It's V-I-K-R-A-M-J-A-Y-A-N-T-I. And he asked Spectre about his wigs, um, and Giante said the room went cold. His bodyguard stopped playing cards, and he said, what wig? I don't have any wigs. Who have you been talking to? So basically everyone freaked out and got like, oh no, he did not just ask about the wigs. Oh, God. So clearly this shows delusions. Like he's, you know, everybody knew he wore wigs. It's just, I guess, another narcissistic view of himself yeah. where... He thinks he's fooling everybody, I guess. Um, so Rochelle, his wife that he married after the murder, she lived in the castle alone and was his chief financial officer for his music catalog, um, which he still collects royalties to this day. And then uh, Spectre filed for divorce in 2016, and I'm not really sure where that stands at this point. According to Prison Report, um, in 2014, Spectre had lost his ability to speak due to laryngeal papillomitis lomatitis i have no idea how to say that basically it's tumors along your throat Mm -hmm. due to hpv um so i think that's kind of payback for shooting her in the mouth and oh yeah taking her ability to speak away yeah so it's karma so that is the murder of lana clarkson and the horrible phil specter Wow. So basically, always a violent dude, but he kind of like really lost it. It just happened to lose it at some point. And then... I think he was always cuckoo, yeah. you know, but I think the older he got, the more his mental illness kind of took over and the alcoholism, you know, especially when you're drinking with a mental illness, which yeah. you should not do. Um, you know, he was very erratic and he was, clearly was a, an MO that he had with pulling guns on people and threatening them. And eventually he was going to kill somebody. It's just very sad. It would have been very sad for anybody. But the fact that this woman didn't even know him, you know, and their lives intertwined in a matter of hours and she died. It just is crazy to me. Yeah. So the house that that he owned, that Lana died in, it was is called the Pyrenees Castle. It's in La Hambra. 
Um, the address is 1700 Grandview Drive. And I'm going to talk about our, this is our house of the week. Might as well. We'll do this first. Okay. I have um, it pulled up right here. So do you have the house pulled up on there? I do. Okay. So the house, if you see it, it's a beautiful, I mean, I think it's in, it needs a lot of repairs now. It's kind of falling apart, unfortunately, yeah. because Rochelle living in it. And she, she said she actually filed a lawsuit against LA because she needed the outside wall that kind of surrounds the house to be fixed. And she was saying it was public property, but the, you know, the city is like, you built that wall. That's your property. Yeah. And she's saying that she wanted to move out because and sell it because it was in disrepair and Spectre wouldn't let her. So it's kind of sad because it's a beautiful old home. It's, it was it's very um, built by, yeah, it's huge. It was built by Frenchman Sylvester. I think his last name is spelled Du. It's D-U-P-U-Y. I saw a pronunciation of it, but it didn't make any sense to me. But it's D-U-P-U-Y. And he designed it to replicate the chateaus he loved as a boy um, growing up in Pyrenees, France, since the name Pyrenees Castle. It was completed in 1926. It had 10 bedrooms, 10 bedrooms, 8 baths. 8 bedrooms, 10 baths. Well, that's now. Oh. You're looking at the Zillow now. Mm Mm-hmm. So it had 10 bedrooms at the time it was built, eight baths, three acres on three acres land, which I think it still is, tennis courts, a children's playground, crystal chandeliers, secret passageways, and a trap door, which is very exciting. Um, he flew in artisans from Europe to complete the interior. So I'm, there's no pictures, unfortunately, of the interior that I could find. There might be somewhere, but um, I, I'm sure it was beautiful. Uh, he made money in agriculture back then and then lost it all in the 30s right before his death due to some bad oil investments. And then his children so- sold the home in 1946. And it was turned into an eight-unit duplex. So that's why it's kind of gone down. They kind of reconfigured the inside of it and yeah. turned it into an apartment complex. Okay. And then throughout the years, it was owned by many different people and has like this very... A lot of rumors about people that had lived there. Supposedly, at one point, some woman with 25 dogs bought it, but she never moved in. <laughs> and then okay. I think a a Chinese couple, a very wealthy Chinese couple, bought it and supposedly did some remodeling to it. But apparently, they never moved in or lived there very briefly. Um, and then Spectre bought it in 1998 for $1.1 $1. $1 million. And on... Zillow now currently it's it's supposedly worth 7.3 million which I'm not sure how accurate that is but how many does it say on there how many square feet and stuff it is I mean is? it's 8600 square feet eight bedrooms 10 bathrooms 7 million seems like a pretty good price for that for That's, LA but, I, but if it's, it's if it's completely of... falling apart I'm wondering it doesn't really look like it is though it looks it looks pretty nice It's not on the market though right it says it's not on the market Yeah it's off market So I think he's still keeping it cuz I think he, I think in his some weird way he thinks he's going to get out Maybe. And he wants a place to live or something. Yeah, maybe. Because if his ex-wife or estranged wife now, Rochelle, wanted to sell it, and he said no. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, you can go online and look up pictures of it, and there's people that have done, like, these montages. Because all you can do is get up to the, the walls and the gate of it. You can't go in or anything like that. Yeah. And there's aerial photos of it. And it's, you know, it's got these, it looks like round kind of turrets with, like, red. It's got a red roof and i'd be so curious to go in there because he supposedly had um like the foyer where she was murdered 
he had a like a ton of full armor, like knights in armor kind of crazy decor. I'm sure the decor in there from him is super wacky. Insane. Yeah. Super wacky. Yeah. And it's in the middle of the, the castle. I'll post a picture on Instagram and it was built. It's on a hill. And so you're kind of looking up at this big mansion. And at the time there was nothing there. It was all farmland because um, the guy that built it, you know, was an agriculture. And I think he loaned, owned a lot of the land around it. And then as La Hambra built up, it, you know, a middle-class neighborhood built up around it. So it's just these like normal middle-class homes all the way around it. And then there's this big weird castle right in the middle of this working class yeah it's a, it's a weird area for yeah. a castle well and he moved there he 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 at one point in some article he said he moved there because it was in the middle of nowhere oh and he was such a recluse it was like he would stay there and he kind of he kind of made it seem like there's nothing to do around here so i can't get in trouble so i'm just gonna stay in my house and he would just be cuckoo in his house by himself it sounds like fun though honestly there you go well that's the story of phil specter there you go that's wild i didn't know that he uh was that crazy Seems yeah. seems pretty certifiably certifiably insane though. Yeah. Yeah. So on top of like the Me Too movement, where everybody was keeping stuff, you know, about you know sexual assaults and rapes quiet, there was also, I think, a violence like gun violence and you know stuff like that that's also kept quiet, where people know somebody's you know very violent and erratic, and they don't say anything in either, especially when they're at the top of the game. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's weird that he would just threaten people with guns all the time. Yeah, and people that's we kind of know, which is super weird. weird. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so that's that story. So do you want to hear a rickety ricker just to wrap things Let's up? Let's hear a rickety. I'm kind of sad because I, I have a feeling not all rickety rickers articles are in the paper that I have access to. Oh, we so might run out. Of, yeah, we might run out of rickety rickers and have to find somebody else. Okay, so this. Teenage male. Do, do, do. Is that my uh, thing that I do? <laughs> do, do, do? Is that the same? It was probably different from the last time I did it. This is from June 6th, 1957. You can get burned by an old flame. Mm. I like that title. Good job, Dorothy. Let's see. Dear Miss Ricker, I'm a 16-year-old girl and am going steady with a wonderful boy. About a week ago, I received a love letter from a former boyfriend who I thought had forgotten me. He enlisted in the army, and I hadn't heard a word from him for about six months. In the letter, he asked me to marry him. Oof. Uh, I don't love him, and I don't know how to tell him about my study. It was a surprise to receive the letter because I didn't know how he felt about me. He has never had a real family, and when we met, he sort of adopted my family. If I write him a Dear John letter, he will be hurt, and since he is so emotional, he might even do something to harm himself bodily. Oh my goodness. He is going home in a few months. He is coming home in a few months, and I feel I should tell him about my study before he comes home. Please try to help me as soon as possible. Pat. Wow. Now that's wow. a rough situation for a 16-year-old. It's. I know that back then people got married very young, obviously. My mom did. My mom and dad but, and he must, my take is he's in the army, he's lonely, so he's just kind of reverting back to the last girlfriend he had. Yeah. Because that's all he remembers. And she's just feeling very guilty, but she shouldn't because she, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean. If... And I don't know why she thinks he's going to hurt himself. That's kind of a weird 
he must have a history of something that she knows about. So she, maybe that's what's making her nervous because she doesn't want to hurt his feelings. Yeah, that's that's a rough. That's that's a w- weird thing to. That's a whole lot to put on a sixteen year old. Yeah, it is. Thank God for rickety Ricker. But also, so, if you don't see someone for six months, don't write them a love letter. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> well, I guess if you're in the middle of nowhere, well, in 1957, he's just in the army. There was nothing going on then, right? You're the war buff. What was going on in 1957? In 1957. I mean, the Korean the Korean War had ended four years back, and then I guess the Vietnam. Do you know that for real? Huh? That's a shock. I think I think the for... Korean War ended in 1953. Wow, but, um, that's impressive. I get, and then I don't know. The Vietnam wasn't happening yet, no. but huh. it, maybe there's some anyway. Cold War stuff, but nothing hmm. too serious. Okay, I don't think. dear Pat, this is her response. But all you can do is write the boy and tell him the score, quote unquote, as gently as possible. If I were you, I would start the letter by saying what a surprise it was to hear from him after six months. Try to keep the letter friendly, but impersonal. Say something to the effect that he must have been carried away by a romantic mood when he wrote the letter and could not have been serious because he knows you are only 16 and too young to consider marriage. Add bits of interesting news about people he knows and mention some of your own activities and the fact that at present I am going steady. End your letter by wishing him luck, and you might add, when you come home, be sure to come by and see us. My family and I will always be glad to see you. Actually, if you do as I suggest, the letter will be more or less of a Dear John uh, wait, let me... letter. However, the boy must be very peculiar to say at least to expect anything less after a silence of six months, especially from a girl your age. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, again, that's probably really good advice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again. She's a genius. She, she can is score. a genius. She is a genius. Because if you if if, if you say like if, I don't know why I'm so fascinated with this lady, like it's probably so boring to people, but I am fascinated no, I don't by think this. It's boring. And I love her. It's a, it's interesting. And she's like always right too. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if you if, if if you if you frame the letter as like um you know what I mean? Like if like, I can't even get the. I'm so tired. It's I can't because even get the Ricky Ricker out. has all the words and you don't. I know she just <laughs> she just is she crafts her sentences so well. She does. She's a genius. This goes for all of you teenagers out there who I don't know what you call it. If an ex pops up after six months and is like, "Hey, what's up?" I just got what's back. I just on? got back from the fire festivals. A nightmare. <laughs> I love yeah. you. Marry me. It, the fire festival made me reconsider what love is really about because I had no water for like six hours. I know I broke up with you to go to the fire festival with this model, but I really <laughs> felt lost there in the Caribbean, and I feel like we should get married. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're really shitting on the fire festival, people. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> But again, it's so true. It is true, though. But again, I'm sure people's exes pop up, mm-hmm. and they're like feeling out what's going on. And when you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you don't want to be like. I'm sure a lot of people do want to be like, um, I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Right. Get out of my face, which just comes across as rude. I think people are so, because of Twitter and yes, 
social media, yes. they're so apt to have this attitude yes. right off the bat. And, and people have forgotten how to be civil to each other, yep. even in letting them down. It's like you don't have to be a piece of shit to let somebody down. Now that everybody, now that everybody can see what everybody's doing, relationships have been have become about revenge, making the other right. people feel bad, winning. I always see this this stuff on the Snapchat articles. It's like I saw one literally yesterday that was like like look how this person like won their won the breakup or whatever it's all about like winning right the breakup. or like the revenge body and all that kind yeah, of shit it, it, everybody like treats each other like crap like relationships yeah. aren't about that anymore they're not about like the real stuff it's like anymore. look people people move apart or people do crappy things to each other yeah. if that's the case it's not worth it anyway just move on there's no need to have bad feelings there's no need to have revenge because then you just to me you look psycho it's like just let it go. Yeah, it's weird. You know, people cling on to it too much. Move on and move on to something better and better yourself and and take care of yourself, protect yourself, and not worry about what this other person's doing, especially if it ended badly. I'd be curious to see how many people, you know, in your generation know how to like successfully end a relationship and if they can be mature about it. I mean, look, nobody did it. I feel like people didn't do it when I was, you know, I don't think I knew. I think I broke up with one my college boyfriend because I had to move out of state and we tried to make, do the long distance thing and it didn't work. And I, he was a super nice guy. And I just went back and I was like, look, this doesn't make any sense. Right. We care about each other, but we have to be realistic. We were both going, moving on in our lives. He was still in college for another year and I was moving on to a job, you know, six states away or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, this, you're cool, but this isn't realistic. And he was like, he actually was like, thank you for breaking up with me this way he's like this is the most mature thing that's ever happened to me and it was hard and I was kind of embarrassed to do it because I don't think you're taught how to kind of get out of things successfully yeah. you know but I kind of look back on that like okay that wasn't so bad you know I think it's just easier for people to be like fuck you and just freak yeah, out well it's easy it's easier it's always easier to to score keep instead of taking the high road and it's yeah, always easier you know, score to keeping's bad to take revenge on people than to take the high road it's always easier right. to break something off in a in a dirty way where you're both mad at each other than to try and be civil about it and i, I also yeah, feel like I kids nowadays can't like handle their emotions so if yeah. you if you end it in a in a clean way it's almost like maybe you feel like some of those emotions are still there because you don't know how to handle i like this person but i i know that i can't be around them Right. Instead of I'm just being young, like, or I'm I hate, I hate you, and then yeah. having like to force that separation between each other. Okay. It's a defense mechanism. Yeah, it's a defense mechanism. But exactly. it's not healthy. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Look how smart we there's are. Our, <laughs> there's our relationship <laughs> advice. Yeah. It only took me 46 years to figure stuff out. <laughs> Yay. All right, cool. All right, so we're going to watch the Grammys tonight. Yeah, Grammys tonight. Are you going to take notes? On, on I, yeah. I'm this will be the first time I think I'm watching the Grammys in like a manner of I have to pay attention because usually it's kind of on the background to me. Right. And, I, and then I get bored of speeches because I can't stand. I either get very nervous for the person or I get embarrassed for the person yeah. for some weird reason. Right. And then I don't like to listen to acceptance speeches. And then I and then if they go on too long, I'm embarrassed for them that they have to get kicked off. It's just a whole emotional thing I have. I always think that the, uh, will... the, the speeches with the people that you know like don't actually write a lot of their music or they have like mm -hmm. a, ton, a team of producers and songwriters when they go up and give their like acceptance speeches for best songs. there's or like 25 like that. people up yeah, there yeah it's just funny that it's you know it's like you're just the figurehead accepting the speech yeah. which is funny yeah well i'm sure it's important to them but yeah. most people watching don't know what's going on right um and it's got to be very nerve-wracking to give a speech like that so That's i can true. only imagine
So cool. All right. So we'll watch it tonight. Cool. And we'll have an episode. You didn't do anything like super edgy LA. Oh, you went to Beverly Hills yesterday. I did. I went to Beverly Hills. And you bought swanky sunglasses. I, did. I bought some real, I mean, maybe not LA expensive sunglasses, but they're nice sunglasses. Um, I think they're expensive sunglasses. Yeah, they were pretty expensive. They were like 340 bucks. They, yeah, 370 so, after taxes. Ugh. What? Yeah. Taxes. So you're not e- you're not eating for two months. So yeah, I'm not eating for two months. Because you bought sunglasses. I, I have to sleep on the sidewalk for a week to make up for it. <laughs> but it's worth it because you'll have your sunglasses. But it's on. worth it because they're dope. So do chicks think you're super cool now just because you have a pair of sunglasses? Yeah. On? Now I own th- like three cool jackets and a, a nice pair of sunglasses, and then the rest of the clothes I wear, I look like a homeless person, which is well, cool. But that's cool for guys right now. True. Yeah. See, if you were a girl, you would be broke and in debt because you'd have to have name brand clothes all the time. Some of the, some of the people, some of the, uh, the. Okay, so what I did yesterday, this was yesterday, right? Yeah. yeah. What I did yesterday was we visited, um, I guess now our old friend Mimi, even though I'm like 12 years old. I know my friends who are, you know, like adult friends are now Aiden's friends because he likes hanging out with older people. Here's the thing. Anybody under 30, don't hang out with them. Because, especially here in Los Angeles, because they're chasing the wrong things and th- they don't. They're doing drugs and don't do drugs. They don't have knowledge. If you hang out with a 65 year old, they have knowledge. These people I hung out yes. yesterday have knowledge. So they made me breakfast. We had, we were, shout out to Mimi. Shout out to What's Mimi. Mimi. We were in the. The, Mimi is the best name in the world, by the Mimi way. Mimi is, especially for her. She has two little dogs, one named Henry yes. and the other one named something else. And they, a southern drawl, which is awesome. Yep. Y'all. She laughs at herself all mm-hmm. the time. Which is the most important thing in the world is to just always laugh at yourself. <laughs> exactly. Especially That's for somebody my mom named advice. Mimi. Yes. But uh, So what I did, I went there, and then I left from there. I went to Beverly. So you were in the Hollywood Hills, Hollywood and then you went down Hills, to Beverly Hills. I went to Beverly Hills, and then I got... You want Rodeo Drive? Some coffee bean, and I just walked around. Um, it, it was it was very crowded because there was a lot of people shopping. First thing I did was I wanted to get a pair of sunglasses. I brainstormed the idea, oh, now that I'm here, I should spend some of my money, which is a terrible idea. But the first place I went to was the Gucci store, which was enormous. I didn't, I've never been in there before. But I asked, uh, I walked around like I just knew, like like I was about to drop some cash. But you had your like your fashion attitude on. I did, yeah. Well, I wore my. I have one like John Varvatos jacket, so I wore that, and then I kind of tried to dress like kind of nice and not look homeless. So I put together they, an outfit. Did they that, spit on you because it was John Varvatos? They're like, Pff, yeah, pretty much. John this guy's a pirate. That John Mulaney joke, John Varvatos pirates or whatever. Have you heard that? Where the he says like no. old rock stars like the Rolling Stones, they dress like John Varvatos pirates. That's <laughs> true. It's funny, uh, but I I asked the I asked the. Uh, we, me, my mom and I have very small faces, so we, it's hard to find. <laughs> Speak for yourself. We do have big small, heads, small faces. I think we have small faces. Um, yes, we do. Or small heads, or whatever it is. Small heads, big jaw. Right. It's hard to. It's hard to find sunglasses because we always feel like the sunglasses are too big and make us look like a bug. Like I always feel like I look like a bug in sunglasses. Um, yeah, me too. But so I asked the. I, I said, so "Can I get some help with sunglasses?" He said, "Sure, give me one second. And then he helped these other rich people that were buying way too much money's worth of clothes and then he came over after like 10 minutes and then was like so what do you need help with because he was so busy yeah because he was so busy and aloof he's your aloofs like shop know, dude like, but uh yeah then he was like i was like i always feel like like what, what do you think i should do for sunglasses in my face shape and he was like actually i think you have a great face shape for glasses 
And I, I made a joke. I was like, oh, maybe, well, maybe I'm just that self-conscious then. haha, because he was, like, so not helpful and basically just told me, like, no, you're an idiot. Just pick any pair of sunglasses. Right, which is not Which helpful is not helpful at all. at all. And then he was, like, basically just like, yeah, that's a big part of it. And then I was like, cool. And then just left. So, there you go. And then I, th- I don't even, I don't have them with me right, right now, but they're a pretty cool. We'll have to take a picture and we'll post it with your new sunglasses. Yeah, with my new sunglasses. There you go. It's perfect. Yeah, it's very important. Yep. And then I came there back here, go. and then I came back to my apartment, and there was, you know. Then you ate tacos in front of yep. Bentley's. Yeah, that's true. I did. Bentley's? Uh, Rolls Royces. Taco Bell in front of Rolls Royces. I got Royces. some Taco Bell last night and then took a dumb picture in front of a bunch of Rolls Royces in a dealership. I literally, what I heard you say was, yeah. I got some Taco Bell and took a dump. I thought you were going to say I took a dump. I took a dump on some Rolls Royces <laughs> after I ate Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought you were. I almost, my breath caught. I was like. Oh my god! I don't need to know that. Wait, don't do that. And then, to, I don't know what. And then I, I just blanked out. I just had a freak out, and now I forgot what you said. You I, I like a bell and did what in front of? Took a picture. Took a picture. Yeah. I thank you for okay. thank you for thinking that I would eat Taco Bell and then literally <laughs> take a shit on like three five hundred thousand dollar cars. I don't know why. You believed it. I don't know why. why did you believe that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm sweating right now. I got so nervous for a second. I was like, wait, do you not realize you're talking to your mother? Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to know what you and your friends do. And But I was about to get so mad at you. No, I respect those cars, kind of. Maybe that's something I would have done in my past. So I freaked out and, and I pushed that on <laughs> you're you. Like, wait, I've done that before. I was projecting. <laughs> wait, flashback. <laughs> Never in my life. Okay. Well, that let's wrap that up. That was a good... Sorry, Nana. Sorry, Nana. No one's... No one's taken a Taco Bell poop in public. Nope, I'm very on a street. And I've been very respectful here in LA. I'm a very respectful boy. You know this. <laughs> okay. All right. Up next is the Grammy episode. Yeah. So we'll have the we'll have the short Grammy episode. We sh- we'll just gossip all about how ugly all the people all, all the it. clothes that people are wearing. Post Malone's probably going to look like <gasps> Post Malone, Post, your favorite. He's going to look like a like a rainbow popsicle, probably. Um, he's going to wear all the clothes you saw yesterday that you thought was ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I wonder if some of the people that because some of the people there were like, I mean, the, I, I went through some of the price tags of like the the sections they were looking at. They were they, and they must have spent like twenty or thirty grand. Of course, it was kind of crazy. But a lot of those people don't buy all the they don't buy those clothes they wear at shows. They get they borrow them. Oh uh, yeah, okay. To get the name brand out for the designer and stuff. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, that was cool. a good so, episode. I think we're getting in our groove, man. Yeah. We don't sound. I can't listen. I can barely listen to the episode because I'm so embarrassed about everything I say. Actually, do, I, so. I can. I don't even care anymore. I just listen to the episode. I used to hate my voice too, but now I can listen to my voice. Oh, my voice makes me want to vomit. Am I developing an ego? I think you sound fine. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Hopefully not. All right. Have a good day. All right. Cool. We'll see. Text me throughout the Grammys because that's what good boys do with their moms. Right. <laughs> of course. So Gram- <laughs> Grammy episode is. I get, well, when are we going to put this one out? Because today's the day of the Grammys. We're recording this We can one. put it out to this afternoon. We can and then we can do the this. Grammy okay, one yeah, tomorrow. Perfect. Okay. Bye, guys. Right. Thanks for listening. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.